Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Today, a discussion about how to take full advantage of highly skilled immigrants who come to this country and languish in jobs that don't take full advantage of their skills. It's called brain waste. Now the International Institute here is working with a federal grant to help them. Joining me in studio is Anna Crossland, president and CEO of the International Institute. Amanda Bergson-Shilcock is director of upskilling policy at the National Skills Coalition in Washington. Eduardo Seguera Hernandez is an IT specialist with Nestle Perrin in St. Louis. I sat down with them a few days ago and asked Anna Crossland about that grant. We have just received notice that we um, are one of the recipients of a federal grant to be able to uh, f- uh, formally be able to expand something called Refugee Career Pathways. Uh, it's a three-year grant um, for around $250,000 a year, and it's going to enable us to hire about 3.5 staff um, and also provide some um, financial assistance to people who are enrolled in the program uh, so that uh, immigrant professionals from overseas, refugee professionals specifically in this case, um, will be able to get back into fields of training and uh, professions that are more closely related to the ones that they that they had uh, studied for and received certification overseas for. This is a federal grant. Yeah. Uh, I'm a little surprised given today's uh, tenure and and, uh, where we are as a a country today, Uh particularly with regard to uh, immigrants that federal money is forthcoming. Well, you know, it's really interesting because um, I think that there is this sort of common um, uh, thread of of, of, uh, concern that you hear on the ground or whatever about anti-immigrant. But in the – particularly in the work-related realm, in the economy, there's very much of an acknowledgement that that, um, foreign-born are really at the heart of a lot of different kinds of skills that that this country needs in order to be competitive, uh, for its businesses to be competitive. People don't realize that 40 percent of the immigrants here in St. Louis across the board, um, refugees and immigrants, uh, actually have degrees uh, from, you know, when they arrive over here, university degrees. And so this is a highly skilled um, population that uh, if you find them driving cabs and uh, uh, cleaning cleaning the floors and in restaurants and stuff, that's not a good use of skills that St. Louis actually needs to be able to um, be economically vibrant. So really there's a couple of um, a couple of scenarios, if you want to call it that, that are out there um, and, and storylines having to do with, well, are immigrant, do immigrants have value or not? Well, the businesses in this country would say absolutely they do. And uh, they are employing them when they can. Ab- yeah. You know, the other interesting number is that we've now reached this kind of interesting um, um, situation where there are more jobs available in certain job categories than there are people to fill them here in St. Louis. While we really do need to work harder at being able to educate those individuals who are already here in America, uh, re- retrain people who have been you know, moved out of jobs, don't lo- no longer exist, and kids now who are graduating who are looking for jobs. That's not an overnight fix for some of the issues we have, particularly in terms of, of STEM-related uh, jobs that we have. So if you have a large number of people, in fact, in America who already um, have those skills, um, particularly in the STEM areas, that, but aren't able to use them because they don't have someone to be able to help them with the, um, you know, with the uh, skills recertification and and job assistance to be able to get them into positions, then that's a waste of of brain power and um, and a real way that we're hampering American uh, uh, businesses. Amanda, where does your organization come into all of this? 
National Skills Coalition is a nonprofit organization based in Washington, D.C., and our focus is making sure that American businesses have access to the talent they need and making sure that workers have access to equitable training opportunities so that they can get family-sustaining jobs. Uh, We focus on workers in all categories, but my particular area of focus is immigrant workers. Um, And a particular area, as Anna's just been describing, is this challenge of immigrants who have come to the U.S. with degrees degrees and credentials from their home country, but are trapped in low-wage work where they're not able to contribute to their full skills and abilities. And so as a policy organization, we look at where we can help uh, organizations like Anna's and others around the country that are working to institute uh, high-quality programs, but also change policies to make sure that there are on-ramps and pathways for people to be able to certify and qualify to take the jobs that U.S. businesses are are really crying for workers to fill, um, particularly in this time of low unemployment. How have you been impacted by today's political atmosphere? Well, it's a bit of a topsy-turvy environment at the federal level, for sure. Um, And it's important to keep in mind that, as Anna said, while there's a lot of um, sound and fury going on about immigration policy, who do we let into the country and under what circumstances, there's a lot more bipartisan agreement on immigrant integration policy. That is, how do we respond when people are already present in the United States, they're already building lives here, they're already work authorized, and how do we make sure that they have an opportunity to become full contributing members of American society? That's an area where there's broad bipartisan agreement in Congress, in state legislatures, and elsewhere. Um, Republican governor in Michigan has really been a leader on this issue, uh, Rick Snyder, um, supporting a a recredentialing program for immigrants in the Michigan area. And so, you know, we look at this as an issue of economic competitiveness and an issue of equity to make sure that workers have opportunities to contribute their skills and, frankly, to be able to support their families. Eduardo, what is is your story? Tell us uh, what your background is, your education background, and uh, where where you fit into this picture right now. Well, uh, actually, well, I'm from Costa Rica, and uh, I have a system engineer uh, and information technology degree at the Inter- Universidad Nacional de Costa Rica, University- National University of Costa Rica. And I came to U.S. last year, November last year, and I came here with a fiancé visa. So basically, my wife uh, requests that uh, the fiancé process for me. I met her in 2012 in Costa Rica, and she was English teacher. I was American English teacher. Amer- yeah. Okay. Uh, I was working in a private high school in Costa Rica. I was the IT guy, and she was the English teacher. And basically, we we started dating, you know, and kind of relationship. But her dad passed away in 2015. And she moved back to U.S. in August 2015. So we were like back and forth in our relationship until we decided to move forward in our relationship. So um, that's why I moved to U.S. in November last year. Did you have any trouble finding a job? (laughs) Yeah, well, um, I uh, actually am currently working for Nestle Purina, the global organization. I'm a cloud specialist, and um, basically in January, 
I was not able to, uh, I was not, let's say, illegal, but I was not able to open an, uh, an account in the bank. So my wife told me about the International Institute because she used to volunteer a couple of times there. And, uh, and I went to uh, English classes first and they uh, offered me like the K program and I started uh, the K program and I finished it. And when I got my work permit, I started looking for a job and that's why I got a that job at, at Nestle Purina. It doesn't sound like you fall into the category of someone who came with, with uh, skill, specific skills but could not utilize them here. And you didn't wind up driving a cab, in other words. You were able to get a pretty good job, I gather. Well, yes. I mean, I, I have a lot of support from the International Institute. Uh, I will say Anita Barker was a really, uh, she was a, kind of mentor for me. Also, I will mention Mauricio Gobo, who was a guy that I met in a Portuguese meetup because I was learning Portuguese as well. And uh, I have a lot of support from uh, my wife's family. And uh, I mean, it was not a really complicated process for me. An exception, but Anna? That's, that's an, what, what, what Eduardo has just um, described is how a system can work, but how it doesn't necessarily work for most um, of the foreign-born here. He had a couple of advantages from the point of view that he was on a fiancé visa and his wife is an American citizen and had grown up in this country and along with her family were able to really facilitate his integration into the community. Still, he had to be able to go uh, to a program like the International Institute, study English, um, and then, as he mentioned, uh, enroll in the CAPE program. And CAPE is Career Advancement for International Professionals. It's a 16-hour program, mm -hmm. a one-month program, where um, where foreign-born individuals with degrees can really focus on social networking, you know, uh, uh, job interviewing, uh, pre preparation of resumes, um, uh, you know, all of these kinds of things are new to people from other countries. And so had he not, through recommendations, et cetera, learned about the Institute and come that route and been on his own, he could in, have, in fact, even with that American support system, really struggled. So by finding the program um, and by enrolling then in CAPE. And once he graduated, then getting connected, he mentioned Maurizio, and uh, through the Professional Connectors Program of the St. Louis Mosaic Project, they were able to make a number of referrals for him and work the network to help him get into that job at, at Nestle. Those were all um, portentous things to happen, but don't necessarily happen for every foreign-born individual. So he's a great example of how it should work, but not necessarily an example of how it usually works for foreign-born. Amanda, can you give me an example or two of the kinds of situations that uh, that your organization comes across in dealing with these people? Absolutely. So it's important to know that there's about 1.8 million immigrants nationwide who have a degree or credential from their home country but are un- or underemployed in a low-wage job. So there's a lot of folks who, as we just heard, um, it, the system could be working better for but isn't, right? And so my organization focuses specifically on policy issues, um, so we don't work with individual job seekers, but many of our member organizations, which include community colleges and nonprofit organizations and workforce boards and others, are working with these individuals. So for example, um, there's one gentleman who had 
uh, experience in Latin America as a banker. He came to the U.S. Um, he was still strengthening his English skills, and he really was struggling to find an appropriate level uh, job because his English was still developing, and he didn't have the advantage that we just heard from Eduardo of having a U.S.-born spouse who could help with his integration process. Um, and so he had found a very entry-level job um, in warehousing. And through working with a nonprofit organization, he was able to get placed with an American company that manufactures heavy equipment. So think bulldozers like a Caterpillar-type company. And they were looking to grow their Latin American sales base. So they didn't mind that his English was only okay. What they really wanted was somebody who had high-level Spanish skills and the ability to draw on his social network back in Latin America to help them build their market for their products, exporting them uh, to Latin America. So that was a win-win situation where he didn't immediately re-enter his original field of banking, but he was able to find a white-collar job where he was really contributing and the company really valued his skills. Unfortunately, there's a lot of frustrating examples where folks come to the U.S. with education and training, and because they don't get good advice or because uh, they're hustling couple of jobs at the same time trying to put food on the table, take care of their kids, they don't make it back to a white-collar career, and they spend the rest of their lives as a parking lot attendant or as a housekeeper. There's no shame in that work, but it's a real squandering of people's uh, human capital and resources. Is that what you do then, is match people with the, their skills with specific jobs? How does that work? Do people come to you? I mean, do employers come to you, for instance? Yeah. So National Skills Coalition is a policy organization, so we're not directly yeah. serving job seekers. Our members are absolutely doing exactly that. They offer, as I said, community college courses that could be a short-term training. Perhaps you were an accountant overseas, but you haven't used QuickBooks software. So maybe you just need a short course with QuickBooks. Perhaps uh, you have high-level skills in finance or in IT, but you're not accustomed to the U.S. process of job seeking, right? In some countries, it's appropriate to put your photo on a resume. It's appropriate to put your marital status and your religion on a resume. In the U.S., uh, we're, we're sort of shocked by that, right? We assume you're an actor if you put a headshot on your resume. Um, uh, or else, uh, if you put personal, uh, personal demographic information, an HR person may actually just throw away your resume because they're concerned uh, that they could be accused of discrimination for, for considering, uh, uh, you know, um, candidates who, who have disclosed that kind of information. So it's a process of sort of teaching people people code breaking, if you will. What are the codes they need to use in order to navigate successfully? And then how do we match businesses that have specific needs with folks who bring those skills, right? So there have been some really uh, valuable reports recently about the demand for bilingual skills in the U.S. workforce and, and others. So that's important. But I think the, the most important takeaway is that policymakers, whether they are legislators or mayors or governors or other, are recognizing that if we want to create an economy that works for everybody, that means making sure that our workforce and our training systems are intentionally inclusive, that they're good at serving people who are born in the U.S. who might have barriers to employment, perhaps they have a criminal record or other background, and that they're good at people coming from another country um, who could have a whole range of backgrounds, perhaps very educated, perhaps less educated. That's Amanda Bergson-Shilcock with the National Skills Coalition in Washington. We're talking about brain waste and taking advantage of the skills of immigrants. We'll be back in a moment. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. 
Thank you for listening to this St. Louis on the Air podcast supported by University College at Washington University with undergraduate and graduate programs part-time evening and online. University College at Washington University offering world-class education within reach. Welcome back to our conversation about taking advantage of the immigrant skills in this country. Our guests are Anna Crossland, President and CEO of the International Institute, Amanda Bergson-Shilcock with the National Skills Coalition in Washington, and Eduardo Seguera-Hernandez with Nestle Purina. Anna, what kind of an environment do we have here in St. Louis to, to welcome these people in terms of, from the employer's perspective? Well, uh, you know, it could be better, but it's not that bad. Um, you know, some of the kinds of uh, services that I mentioned a few moments ago and that certainly um, um, uh, certainly Amanda has, has mentioned are, are present here in St. Louis, um, although not as well developed as they might be in um, certain cities that have a much more dense population of foreign-born than we have here. One of the things that I want to mention, though, is while this new grant um, pertains to refugees, refugee career pathways, and it makes sense because proportionately we have more refugees here in St. Mm-hmm. Louis than we do other immigrants. Um, the truth of the matter is that the general immigrant population of which, for instance, Eduardo is represented also benefits from these kinds mm-hmm. of skills. So we're going to be looking at ways to, in fact, expand the contract over the next three years so that we don't serve only refugees, but we serve the wider immigrant community as well because they all um, have individuals who, who have these kinds of, of, of needs. Um, you know, it, the economy, the job is really at the core of uh, integration here in the in the community. If you can if you can help an individual get the job that they need, then other other things begin to fall into place. Um, it, it, it's about uh, it's about um, them feeling well. They feel welcomed if they feel like they fit. Mm-hmm. And ways to be able to fit include being able to have the kind of job that really uses their skills and talents um, so that they feel appreciated. You know, um, in in terms of the general community, I'd say we do a, pr- a decent job in terms of welcoming, but there are certainly things that we can do to make it uh, to make it a little bit. One of the things I think that is is a great challenge here in St. Louis is just the labyrinth of different um, requirements. For instance, that it takes. Uh, you know, we talk about fifty different states and fifty different sets of certifications. Well, that's the truth of the matter for practically anything we do. We have city, county. We even if they want to be able to, you know, start a business or something, an entrepreneur. And what happens sometimes with some of these professionals is they decide that getting back into their career is a little bit more difficult and will take longer than they can manage. And so they'll decide to become an entrepreneur instead. Well, my God, you know, the differences between city and county qualifications to open a business and municipalities, etc., all of that can be very unwelcoming to an individual who's really trying to just be able to start over and and do the best thing they can for them and their family. So there's still work to be done. Um, We've got a ways to go, but I think that we recognize to a large degree um, that uh, that there are hurdles to cross, but that there are tremendous opportunities there to be if if we accomplish it. Eduardo, how complicated a process did you find it uh, uh, integrating and becoming a part of this community? Well, I guess the the first problem was the, the social. Get used to the social uh, other culture, because in Latin America we used to kissing the chicks every time we 
give a lot of hugs. Kiss, kiss on the cheeks. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, and that's very common. And when you just came here, and Americans want like space, so I want to shake your hand, and and that was kind of cultural shock for me. And uh, that's the first thing. And another thing that I will say is uh, English. If you, I mean, I'm not native English speaker. And for uh, the process, the, the visa process, the green card process, the employment authorization process is a really hard sometimes. And that's why I, I went to the International Institute because I can make a kind of decent conversation in English, but I'm not native English speaker. So mm. I learn every single day. And um, another thing that I will say that was really interesting is the customer service here that I was not used to in Costa Rica because everything is, hey, my name is Eduardo. I'm going to take care of you tonight. This is not something that happened in, in, in Costa Rica and Latin America. <laughs> so if you come in here as an immigrant and you want to run the business, you must – need to learn those skills, those soft skills if you want to run a business like a restaurant or any kind of customer service because here in the U.S., a lot of people expect really good, good customer service. And that's the first thing, even in the interview, it's very formal. For us in Latin America, U.S. is a little bit formal. But somebody from the Middle East would say, no, that's really informal. It really depends of the, your point of view. But I will say that the social skills are very, very important in English as well. I have to say that I did not expect to hear that the first complication would be that you couldn't kiss someone on the cheek. That's a little bit <laughs> yeah. caught me by surprise. But that's the way it is. Different cultures have different ways of exactly. doing things. What about other countries, Amanda? Do you have any sense of uh, how, you know, how difficult is it for people coming here compared to going to other countries? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, the U.S. as a traditional receiving country means we're used to receiving immigrants. So on one level, it's easier for immigrants to come here than it is, for example, to go to Germany or to go to France uh, or in some cases to go to some place like Australia. On the other hand, the U.S. is facing a lot more competition now than we ever have before of other countries that are deliberately trying to attract exactly the kind of immigrants that Eduardo represents. Uh, in Canada and in other places, they have taken out full-page newspaper ads trying to attract uh, immigrants from different countries to say, we need your skills and talents here. And not only that, but we have a process for integrating you when you get here. And I would say it looks really different in different countries. Um, in Canada, there's probably the, the most developed infrastructure of nonprofit agencies and, and government programs to really try to integrate um, uh, immigrants as new arrivals and make sure that their skills are, are able to be um, put to use in, in the labor market, European countries struggle more. Um, they don't have the same history of viewing themselves as destination countries, even though, of course, they have been destination countries. Um, and in the U.S., we're fortunate in that we actually have a really strong connection between language skills and labor market progress. In other words, the better your English gets, the better a job you're going to be able to get. And that's pretty much a perfect stair step. Every little bit of more English that you get, you will be able to compete for better and better jobs. 
That's not actually the case in every other country. So if you're a Turkish immigrant living in Germany, you might have perfect German. That does not necessarily mean that you're going to have access to the labor market in the same way. The U.S. is a very dynamic country. Um, People can gain jobs or lose jobs more easily here than in many parts of the world, but that also means there's a lot more churn and opportunity in the labor market. Yeah, that's very interesting. We're going to have to wrap this up in a moment, but Anna, one thing we haven't talked about, and I don't know if there's a, if there's a figure out there, but one of the things that uh, would necessarily happen if we could incorporate and integrate the people with skills into our economy is what they would contribute to the economy. Is there a figure out there that uh, is used to see what they could contribute financially? Well, you know, we heard some numbers this morning, as a matter of fact, um, having to do with underemployed immigrants in the community and the loss at that point mm-hmm. that those wages really produced um, for the community. And and what it looked like just from the – we did a study last year through the William T. Kemper Foundation, and what was really found um, there was that based on the number of underemployed individuals in the community, we were talking in excess of $100 million in term, terms of lost wages. And from that, then, you could translate that into lost payroll taxes and um, 1% tax for the city, et cetera. So this is not a small Mm -hmm. issue that uh, we can kind of roll our eyes about. We need employers need um, these individuals to fill um, gaps in their their companies, particularly STEM-related positions. But then also it's lost lost taxes through, through, through wages. And if people are living below the poverty level, then it's going to cost government something to help right. sustain these people. Right, right. Uh, you know, as as with everybody who needs subsidization, um, there is a certain percentage. And so the higher we can help them move up the career ladder itself um, and therefore have higher income, the more they can, in fact, contribute more at that point to the community. Um, and then the final thing that we really haven't mentioned, I guess, has to do with the opportunities um, of, of diverse culture itself and, mm-hmm. and what that provides to a city like St. Louis, not just in terms of, of, oh, gee, we have more ethnic restaurants that we can go to, but in terms of millennials and others who are moving here from other parts of the country and are seeking a more diverse environment than we necessarily are. Uh, We see people from Cortex and other kinds of areas flocking down to the south side now to live because they really like living along South Grand Boulevard and in the ethnic uh, neighborhoods themselves. That's an additional um, opportunity over and above what the immigrants themselves actually bring to St. Louis because what it does then is it attracts and retains other individuals who then are really um, important as well to our economy. And we could also talk about the number of of newcomers to this country who become entrepreneurs, hire people, create businesses, and on and on it goes if if you allow it to happen. A very important part of this economy, it is to say. Eduardo, is there a final thought you'd like to leave us with with regard to this conversation? No, I just want to say thank you. This is a really, uh, this is a huge honor to talk on behalf of all the immigrants who came here with a with a degree. Well, thank you for being here. I would hate to have to go to Costa Rica and do a radio program because <laughs> I wouldn't have a whole lot to say because no one would understand my English, I think. Whatever. And Amanda, how about you? A final thought? Yeah, I think the the final thought I'd like to leave uh, St. Louis residents with is, on the one hand, um, you can be proud because there are institutions here in St. Louis that are doing nationally recognized work on making sure that immigrant uh, professionals are well integrated. On the other hand, you should be a little worried because there are cities 
cities around the country that are trying to compete with St. Louis now and that are investing in uh, uh, their own strategies, their own regional economic development strategies. And so there's folks nipping at your heels. Uh, So I'd pay attention to that. Thanks to Amanda Bergson-Shilcock with the National Skills Coalition in Washington, Anna Crossland, President and CEO of the International Institute, and Eduardo Seguera-Hernandez with Nestle Purina.